I'm Jesse Lubinsky. I'm Donnie Piercy. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Heil, hosts of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Barbara R. Blackburn. That's right. She's back. And today we're talking about her newest book, Improving Teacher Morale and Motivation, Leadership Strategies that Build Student Success. Oh, so much to learn today. So much to think about. You're going to love this episode. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and uh, left a review. Could you do that for me? You know, say a few nice words and maybe five stars. Hmm. <laughs> That'd be so cool. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. With Dotsty Maletto. Ranked in the top 10 global gurus in education, Barbara has dedicated her life to raising the level of rigor and motivation for professional educators and students alike. What differentiates Barbara's over 30 books are her easily executable concrete examples based on decades of experience as a teacher, professor, and consultant. Barbara's dedication to education was inspired in her early years by her parents, Bob and Rose. Her father's doctorate and lifetime career as a professor taught her the importance of professional training. Her mother's career as school secretary shaped Barbara's appreciation of the effort all staff play in the education of every child. Barbara has taught early childhood, elementary, middle, and high school students and has served as an educational consultant for three publishing companies. She holds a master's degree in school administration and was certified as both a teacher and a school principal in North Carolina. She received her Ph.D. in curriculum and teaching from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. In 2006, she received the award for Outstanding Junior Professor at Winthrop University. She left her position at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte to write and speak full-time. In addition to speaking at state, national, and international conferences, she also regularly presents virtual and on-site workshops for teachers and administrators in elementary, middle, and high schools. Her workshops are lively and engaging and filled with practical information. Her most popular topics include Rigor is Not a Four-Letter Word, which will always make me laugh because I think it's an awesome book and it's an awesome title, uh, Rigorous Schools and Classrooms Leading the Way, Rigorous Assessments, Rigor and Differentiation in the Classroom, Rigor for Students with Special Needs, Motivation plus Engagement plus Rigor equals Student Success, Research-Based Engaging Instruction Leads to Higher Achievement, and high expectations and increased support lead to success. Our focus today is her latest book, written with Ronald Williamson, called Improving Teacher Morale and Motivation, Leadership Strategies that Build Student Success. Today I'm talking with Barbara R. Blackburn, and we're going to have a great time. Uh, Barbara, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Say hi to everyone. Thank you, and hello, everyone. We absolutely are going to have a great time because we always do. Most definitely. Um, <laughs> it's just we find so many things to talk about, uh, so... Listeners, do not be surprised if we go off on a tangent, because we have done that in the past. No, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, we always do it in a good way. That's yes. not a bad way. That's a good way. So You're so right, so right. Uh, all right, Barbara. So uh, teaching's always been challenging, but the pandemic created some powerful issues. Um, could we start by talking about why teachers might quit? Oh, goodness. I think there's that's a very complex question. There's a lot of reasons teachers might quit. 
um, you know, family issues, all of those kinds of things, illness. But I think when we talk about morale and motivation, what we're seeing now more than ever is teachers who quit because they don't feel valued. Um, and that may not be by, for example, the principal. It may be by the community. Uh, I certainly talk to many, many teachers who just feel like teachers overall are devalued in our society today, mm -hmm. that they just are not respected, uh, they are not treated well. Um, I talked to one teacher the other day who said everything she did, she feels like it is second-guessed, uh, that she can't teach anything without somebody calling her and saying, why did you teach this? Why is that a valid thing to do? Um, I talked to another teacher, and he was talking about he is so scared about book selection. Um, that he's going to get judged based on a book he chooses for his students. And um, his point was, he said, I'm doing what I believe is best for my students. And I don't have a hidden agenda, but it seems like everybody else thinks I do. And so I think there's this overall sense that no one really cares about teachers anymore. And I think a lot of teachers quit because of that. Um, I, I also talked to one teacher and what she said was, she said, I would get more respect if I worked at Chick-fil-A than I do as a teacher. And that is that just breaks my heart. Yeah, that's that, rough. That just does. I understand that. That's, uh, that really does. And, and, and one thing about teaching is that it's, it's hard because you have to really delay this cool gratification that you can get when a bunch of years, you know, you, you never know. You're standing up, you know. I was standing in line at a theme park and I was standing in line for a roller coaster and I get tapped on the shoulder and I turn around and this young man says to me, are you Mr. Mileto? <laughs> and I was like, and there I am in my shorts and with my family, we're standing in line for this roller coaster and never in a million years. I mean, it had been, uh, I was a principal at the time. And so he was, it was a bunch of years before that from a student who I taught, you know, someone I taught it's, and it's, you know, it's stuff like that, that uh, really, you know, the reward that you get down the road. But it's so hard when that's, that's a long time coming a lot of times. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think with that, you know, teachers, teachers know going into teaching that you're not going to see necessarily your results. Um, you know, you might see it down the road, but you might not. Uh, and, and I think teachers go into it knowing that. What I don't believe, I certainly did not as a teacher, uh, I didn't go in thinking there would be people actively working against me. Uh, gotcha. And, and I think in our very divided society, uh, there, are, there are concerns with that. And um, I, I do not believe that teachers anticipated that. I, I've not met a teacher yet who anticipated how negative some of, some of just the... <sighs> It's like this. Uh, I had somebody tell me a long time ago that education is the only uh, job where because everybody went to school, they think they're an expert in it. Right. right. And so then they think they can tell you what to do. And I, and, I, and I do not believe teachers signed up for that. Oh, you're so right. That's a, that's a good point. And that's, that's what, when everybody's an expert, that also makes you go, hmm, maybe I can do better over here. <laughs> Whatever over here is, you know, and. Wow, I uh, appreciate you talking about that. And uh, and so we're going to kind of 
get into things that kind of help deal with some of that stuff as we talk about the topic of your book. And so, so our focus today is your new book written with Ronald Williamson, uh, Improving Teacher Morale and Motivation, Leadership Strategies that Build Student Success. Why'd you write this book? Oh, because of all the things people were saying to us. Um, and I should tell you, okay, this is one of those tangents that I go off on. <laughs> but, um, Ronald Williamson, he is up in Michigan. He's a retired professor from Eastern Michigan, but he was one of my doctoral professors at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. He was actually on my dissertation committee. So nice. we got to know each other then and we stayed in touch and we presented together and then we started writing together. And uh, I would not begin to try to write a leadership book without Ron because that is his specialty. He has worked with leaders for his whole career Um and so I, I really love writing with him. And so we were talking about what do we want to do for the next book? And we really couldn't decide. Uh, we were playing around with a couple of different topics. And then he said, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions about motivation. How do I motivate teachers? And then we both started talking to people and we came back together and we both at the same time said morale, <laughs> morale and motivation. And so uh, that's that's really how it came about was that was the need that we were hearing from people. That's cool, because I think that's, you know, it's something that uh, really hits home because over the last bunch of years since the big quit and you know, a little bit before that as well. And before the pandemic, you know, you're, you're having talks about this, but it really came to, to head after uh, after the pandemic. And it's just like, um, you know, a lot of crickets around. It's like, where did I go? And I, and I do think the pandemic magnified, Oh yes. um, you know, because there were so many issues and what, what I saw as a shift was at the beginning of the pandemic, teachers were really respected. You know, I would hear parents and I would read articles in the paper about parents who would say, I had no idea how much the teachers were doing. You know, they, they, it really sort of hit home for them. So we had that. But then as the pandemic continued and teachers were doing, I think, everything they could do for kids, it just was very challenging, that waned. And then when they came back, it was more along the lines of, well, my kid's really behind. Why didn't you do more? Right. I, I, most teachers that I talked to were doing the very best they could. I, I didn't see a lot of teachers going, Oh yeah, this is an excuse to slack off. I didn't see people like that. Uh, I didn't talk to people like that. Uh, so that shift really came then. And then some of the um, cultural uh, issues that have popped up since the pandemic or have, have been enhanced since the pandemic have made that even more of an issue. You got that right. It's, you know, it's interesting because during all those times, I mean, I had superintendents driving school buses um, with food on them to, and teachers helping um, those superintendents and administrators helping to deliver food to um, people who have difficulty during the summer times and summer months. And so they ramped it up to deal with the entire school year because of uh, uh, what was going on with the pandemic. And you had people trying to figure out how to, how do you, how do you deliver lessons over a little box, you know, <laughs> and uh, how do you deal with the fact that the kids can turn you off? They can literally turn you off. They, you just see the little name there and uh, it, you can't reach through that little box and say, hey, turn me back on. You know? <laughs> yeah, and you know what was hard was uh, a friend of mine um, pointed this out to me. 
uh, she she really did a lot of work with kids in poverty um, and, and diversity. And sometimes you had kids who turned you off because they just didn't want to pay attention. Uh, but some students would turn the video off or not turn it on because they were embarrassed. Uh, so if they came from not a middle-class kind of household or a wealthy household, maybe they didn't have a background that would look as good as the other students. So you would have students who would genuinely be ashamed to turn the video on. And uh, I had not thought about that. So there were all these issues and teachers were trying to deal with all of that. Yes. And, um, you know, what I saw was they're trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure out how to do it. They're trying to meet their kids' needs. They're not getting to give students a hug when they need a hug. They're trying to communicate with parents. They're trying to deal with all of the other stress issues related to the pandemic. And, and somewhere in there, they're supposed to keep up their morale and motivation. And, and then it just continued to get worse. So I, when people talk about we haven't recovered yet from the pandemic, I think one of the areas we ha haven't recovered from is teacher motivation and morale. Oh, I think that is so right. And, and that's a nice segue, by the way, because <laughs> one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, in the title of your book, you have mor uh, motivation and morale. You have morale and motivation there in the title of your book. Um, so let's go there. I mean, what do you mean by these two words? What is, what is it you're specifically focused on? Well, motivation, I think, is an easier one to get your hands around uh, because motivation is, are you, do, do you want to, are you willing to do something? Um, and are we going to do that from an extrinsic or an intrinsic perspective? Um, so, you know, just, just, can you get me to do something? That's, that's sort of the motivation piece, or am I willing to go ahead and do it intrinsically? The morale piece is bigger and, and different people have different, um, perspectives of it. I mean, for us, morale is that whole piece about how, how you feel about school. How do you feel about your work with students? How do you, how do you uh, feel about your work with parents? Uh, it impacts motivation, but it is it is bigger than motivation, and it's more of a um, collegial piece. It's it's the whole school. We've got more of a school morale uh, that that we talk about. It's not that you can't have individual morale, but it is more about uh, what do you feel about how your work is and what your work is, and are you willing to? So they are intertwined. But I can be motivated and still have low morale. For example, I may not want to go to work today, but I need my paycheck. <laughs> and that's extrinsic right. motivation. So I'm going to go to work today because I, I need that. I'm motivated to do it because I want to feed my kids. But that doesn't mean I have good morale. So you've got two that are linked together, but don't necessarily have to both happen at the same time. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It, it really does. I mean, I've, you know, it's funny in my many years in the field, um, we've had, uh, uh, you know, I've been in places where, you know, it's, it's simply the fact that I want to work to do what we're trying to accomplish, whether it's as a teacher, whether it's as an administrator, um, but the system itself, or maybe you know, had issues where you're kind of like, okay, there's things here that if I didn't have what I'm doing, that's where my morale came from, as opposed to if I was spending the, all my time with whatever their latest thing was that, you know, you got to make sure you dot the I and cross the T in this special font at this size and in, 
you know, in this space on the form, <laughs> and you're going, yeah, that's, that's not what I signed up for. Okay, this is not, I, I'm trying to help make things happen. And, and you get caught up in a world like that, you know, it's, it really quickly can go out unless you have something to, to encourage you. And I, I totally understand what you're talking about. It's like, you know, as a classroom teacher, I've been places where I would have, I would have worked 24 hours a day because it was cool. That some of the people you worked with just simply, they inspired you. I'm a big believer in the, the role that everything from workplace friends play to uh, just the, in, the environment that the leader creates. So, Yeah, and ideally you've got positive morale and motivation. Um, but that's not always the case. And, and I would tell you that particularly during the pandemic, morale was pretty low right, <laughs> among right. people. I, 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 it just was, I mean, they lost a lot of their support systems and leaders. And, and you and I've talked about this because I did a book for leaders and a book for teachers about remote learning, but despite their best efforts, it was hard to help people feel connected during the pandemic. Oh, most definitely. That's... And that, that absolutely impacted morale. I, you know, it's something that I don't understand how people really like just remote work because one of the problems I have with it is I live off of the connection that you have with people when you're in the same place and you, you say something and they put up with your silly stories and they tell their own stories or, you know, you have, uh, I mean, who else are you going to tell about the fish that got away or something? You know, it's like, yes, yes. But you know, it's interesting because I now find myself in a position of being a remote worker because, and, and you know this about me, I have a, before everybody out there starts going crazy, I have a non-life-threatening disease that is very rare, and it means I get chemotherapy three months out of every year, and that has just killed my immune system. So I can't go get on a plane and fly somewhere and come speak to somebody. So I do everything remotely now, and I have learned to make those connections. Uh, it's not exactly the same. But, uh, you know, my husband asked me the other day, he said, do you not miss working with people? And I said, you know, I do miss like the face-to-face, -face, except that I get it on the computer. And what I miss is if I go like a month without talking to anybody on the computer. So I have to, I have to make sure that I'm <laughs> scheduling my things so, so that I get to talk to people. And I do make sure that I'm still making those connections and talking about the different things and just what is going on. Um, and it is not the same. But I have learned to make it work. Um, I don't know that I would ever choose it, but I have learned to make it work. And um, I think that's, and my mom has, my mom actually has Alzheimer's. And she uh, always tells me when I say, you know, mom, you're doing really great at, at taking care of everything. Because we had to, my dad died and then we had to move her up here into a memory care facility. And she says, well, I have two choices. I can be miserable or I can make the best of it. And I think she taught me that <laughs> because that's what I've found with remote work. Now, I am also a highly motivated person who happens to have a job that can work remotely. Nice. Um, so I'm not missing seeing kids because I wasn't seeing kids before. I was seeing teachers and I still get to see teachers. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that for many people, you know, I talked to lots of teachers who just took a sigh of relief when they got to go back to school. You know, they <laughs> wanted to go back to school. Right. Um, you know, they were concerned about health issues, but they wanted to go back to school because they wanted to see each other. They wanted to be able to go have lunch with other people, those kinds of things. And, and when you talk about morale, those kinds of things make a difference. That they do that they do. Cause it's, 
it's just uh, it, it's just that importance that people play in the, each other's. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, be having access to each other and just being able to chit chat about something and uh, and uh, whether you know, just having that connection. I mean, I during the pandemic, I lived in a place where uh, the kids were constantly. You know, before the pandemic, they they met up in little groups in the parking lots of different places and uh, in, in their vehicles and. Um, they kept that going during the pandemic, but the, you know, they had to keep their distance and they couldn't keep changing. Cause if you watched them at one time, you'd see that they'd change the groups, you know, they'd shift between and they'd talk and walk and they're walking all around. In this case, they stayed in their vehicles and talked from their vehicles. And I thought that was rather interesting, but, the you know, they, they tried to maintain it and it's, and, and that was so important to them. And, you know, I know lots of people experienced it when the kids came back for the first time into the school building. You know, one of the most important things to them was that connectivity with their friends. And I think you saw the same thing with teachers and, and yeah. building leaders. So Yeah, again, that has to do with morale. And we're talking about it with teachers, but morale with students, much of what we have talked about applies to morale with students, too. It's, it's, so, it's so important because it does. I mean, the whole, the whole organization, it's alive and it's, it's breathing and, and, and doing its thing. And it has to you know, and why? It's because it's got people in it and of all shapes, sizes, and ages. <laughs> and so important, so important. So, so let's kind of, let's talk about something you mentioned because you talked about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Uh, why is it that a leader really needs to understand these two terms? Um, I think the biggest reason we need to understand them is so that we can use them appropriately. Uh, for example, Extrinsic motivation, everybody sort of gets. Uh, that's things like salary or bonuses. That's uh, if, if you're in a state that uses test scores to grade a teacher, you know, that's extrinsic. Some extrinsic is positive, some extrinsic is negative, but it's those kinds of things. It's a reward certificate. Um, you know, it's, it's a token if you give out tokens, uh, those kinds of things. Um, those are extrinsic rewards. And sometimes if we think about what we do with teachers, that's what we do is extrinsic. And although there are people who believe there are no good extrinsic rewards, I don't fall in that category. I'm sort of middle ground where I think you should use some extrinsic. Um, in the book Drive, um, Daniel Pink talks about that extrinsic can serve like caffeine. It gives you a jumpstart shot, but it's going to wear off. Um, there's some research that if you need somebody to do rote tasks, like if you need me to do a lot of paperwork, giving me an extrinsic reward at the end is a good motivator. But the problem with extrinsic is it doesn't last long and sometimes it has negative effects. Um, and, and that's really important to understand. Otherwise that's the only thing we use. So, um, the intrinsic motivation is what sticks. That's that inner motivation, uh, that, that happens when I see value in what's going on. It happens when I feel successful. For me as a teacher, um, it's where I see the relevance. So if, you, if you're going to bring me to a professional development training, it better be relevant to what I'm doing. If I'm a kindergarten teacher, don't make me come sit in something that is only for uh, upper elementary grades. I, I do workshops all the time online now, and I had a school call me the other day, and they said, can you make sure that you are talking to our uh, related arts teachers? And I said, of course, I just need a list of what subjects you've got. And uh, we were talking about rigor and what it looks like and, and what are examples. And so I had examples 
for physical education and for art and for music and for junior ROTC. <laughs> I had a little bit of everything. And uh, afterward, the principal said to me, she said, you know, my teachers, my related arts teachers said that for the first time, somebody paid attention to them and they saw value. So teachers need to see value. They need to feel some autonomy uh, that, that you're not second guessing everything they do. Uh, I was giving a reference for somebody and had a reference call yesterday and they said, what's the biggest thing we need to know about this person in terms of working with him? And I said, the biggest thing is you don't need to babysit him and you don't need to tell him everything to do. Give him a big picture. He'll ask you questions if you need to, but don't drive him crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, teachers teachers feel that way. We want that autonomy to do our job. Um, that's That's one of the things right now that's really impacting morale is we don't feel like we have any autonomy. Uh, of, of what we are doing and what we are teaching and how we are teaching. Um, teachers, um, relationships make a difference with motivation. Do I have relationships? Do I have people I connect with? Um, and then success. Do I feel like I'm being successful? And again, right now, that's another place that a lot of people don't feel like um, they are valued for any level of success. You know, they're being accused of not doing a good job. So that affects their motivation, and when it affects my motivation and it affects your motivation and your motivation, your, then it begins to affect the morale. So that's the, boy, the five-minute version of motivation that's a whole chapter in the, in the book like that. that gives you a lot more examples. <clears throat> but I, I like that. I mean, because, you know, it's one of the things that uh, teaching has always been one of those professions that um, if you if you're thinking about becoming a teacher, you have to recognize that there's lots of stuff that goes with the word teaching, all right? So... And part of that is like I, I was a, I did everything from coach goalies to um, and by the way when I say this not at the same school but coach goalies <laughs> goalies I was a sponsor for a theater program I was a yearbook sponsor and I uh, also was a co-sponsor of students against uh, uh, actually at that time it's called Mad uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving but it became Students Against uh, Destructive Decisions I believe and but the the point is, is that, uh, you know, you do lots of stuff like that and you work with them and you go to their sporting events and you do all this sort of stuff. Well, you know, part of when, you know, you start questioning all of it, then lots of that goes away because you start wondering if your time's being well spent or not, or if you should do this or, you know, <laughs> you know, <what's, laughs> and all that goes out the window when you start talking about that, uh, when you talk about motivation, because you've got to really be motivated to make to do that stuff because it takes time on top of the other stuff that goes with the classroom. And it's good, good stuff. So you think makes you, what you write about makes you think about that. So. Yeah. So for a principal, you can do the extrinsic or for a leader, you can do the extrinsic and it's okay to do that some, but what you've also got to really do and what the book talks about is create an environment in which teachers are more intrinsically motivated because you can't make somebody be intrinsically motivated. No can create an environment in which it is more likely to happen. Gotcha. I, sorry, I think about the the pirate flag that you see from time to time. This is, uh, you know, um, the beatings will continue until morale improves, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> terrible. That's terrible. It is terrible. <clears throat> but unfortunately, it may not be beatings, but sometimes it's just the beat downs or whatever you want to call it. It's, is happening and you will get, you will like this or you will do this and be, be have a smile on your face. You know, so, you know the saying works <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's talk about how a, a leader helps to, uh, 
you know, to develop resilience in the team members of the school. I mean, resilience is that word, and I love this chapter. I love this section in your book that talks about this because, you know, I've always been jealous of some people who seem to, like, have have like this gene that's called the resilience gene. And it, it, and it no matter what, I mean, they, they could get run over by a Mack truck and they, they still, you know, that was good, I'm all right now, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and they, they move about it. Talk, can you talk about resilience and that importance? Yeah, and I think the first thing is recognize that some teachers uh, and other staff members have resilience, just maybe not in school. They may be very resilient about, you know, they grew up in an abusive home or with a drunk parent, and, and they, they've got that resilience. They just haven't necessarily transferred it over to school because they haven't needed to right now, or at least until now. And so I think I think that's a key piece um, because you're going to want to build a relationship with all your teachers so that they really can talk to you and trust you, and you can find out what's going on and then help them. But we go through six strategies for building resilience. Let's talk about just a couple of them. Like, I think it's important to encourage teachers, and you cannot do this enough, is to encourage them to be empathetic with themselves. Most teachers I know are very hard on themselves. If they make a tiny little mistake, then all of a sudden they've made a huge mistake. Um, And I did this as a teacher. Uh, I wanted to be perfect. Uh, and when we make mistakes, we make them very publicly because we make them in front of our students yes, yes. Uh, and oftentimes in front of other teachers and parents. Uh, and it's OK to cut yourself some slack sometimes. Uh, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. She was like, you know, I'm doing this and doing this and doing that. And I said, stop it. <laughs> I said, you're doing a great job and you're ready for tomorrow. She said, but I need to find what I said. You're going to spend another two hours. And you might find one more thing, and it's not going to make that lesson that much better. What you've got is great. Just go teach it. And, you know, it really is cut yourself some slack. I'm not telling you to do a bad job with your kids. I'm telling you most teachers I know do a really good job with your kids, and they're too hard on themselves, and sometimes they need to not be so hard on themselves. Um, and, And I think that's really important. Because part of what happens with that, and and we give some examples in the book with this, is negative scripts start playing in your head. So it starts being, you know, uh, maybe maybe you and I met and uh, you observed me and you had one suggestion, tiny suggestion, wasn't even a big deal, but you had a suggestion because that's your job. And, um, you know, what I do is I go home and say, he told me I'm a bad teacher. And you didn't tell me I'm a bad teacher. You told me that you know, I might think about next time giving more wait time because it might have engaged students a little bit more. I mean, it was something like that. But I go home going, I'm a bad teacher. And those kinds of things make a difference. I mean, I remember thinking I was a bad teacher. You're going to hate this example. (laughs) I remember thinking I was a bad teacher my first full year. I did part of a year and then I did a first full year. And the person from the district office came in to observe me as as a brand new teacher. And when she did our conference, she went through all these things I did right. And she said, but here's something that is wrong. This is a major problem and you need to take care of it. I mean, I was terrified of what I had done. And she said, you need to cut your bangs. And that's all she said. And she said it was a distraction. She did tell me it was a distraction. And I mean, I was like, I'm a bad teacher because I didn't do my hair right. It must have been 10 years later. It was when I was working for one of the publishing companies. She was at a conference where I was, and I got up the nerve to ask her. I said, you know, you told me when I was a first-year teacher that I needed to cut my bangs. 
And I said, that really hurt my feelings. And she said, well, you know, here was the problem. You taught like the perfect lesson. And I can't tell a first year teacher they're teaching a perfect lesson. So I had to come up with something. So that's what I came up with. Nice. Jeez. And the thing was, (laughs) I beat myself up for a long time about that. I can imagine. And then I really got angry when I found out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that too. I'm going to tell you, in case you're listening to me and you agree with that supervisor, there's always something you can find, okay? It can be little. And if you really can't find anything, then you need to say, you did a great job. And I want you to continue doing a great job. I mean, don't tell somebody to cut their bangs if that's not an issue. (laughs) And, And you can tell, I still get really emotional about this. And that was... 35 years ago, <laughs> and I still get emotional Jeez. about it, um, and that's what teachers do. We get these things in our head, and we don't cut ourselves some slack. It never occurred to me to say, okay, she thought my bangs were too long. I could just let this go. Never occurred to me. It just occurred to me to continually be beating myself up about it, and so I think those are some kinds of things, uh, and again, that's two of six that are in the book. That um, that we really need to help teachers with by encouraging them. Oh, I love that. That's uh, it's so important. I mean, I, I learned a very valuable lesson when I was an assistant principal, and I was in charge of uh, discipline for ninth and eleventh grade. And when you do stuff like that, plus I had a whole bunch of other hats, but um, those types of roles, um, and I, I am a strong believer that there is a there is a game that is needs to be played in school when you're talking about uh, um, discipline and um, managing uh, behaviors and so forth. And that's part of what the role is. So it requires certain types of, remember, I did sponsor theater at one time. (laughs) So so the the point is, is that there's, uh, there's certain things that, you know, call it a game face or something that you wear and you go, you go down the hallway and you're on your way to knock on the door and uh, say things like, Hello, Mr. Mulatto. Can I help you? Yeah. Yes, I need to see uh, Steve and tell him to bring all his books, too. You know, and, then you, and you leave. Now, you can't say that with a laugh on your face. Um, by the way, I recently had someone who was a student in one of those classes where I went to get somebody who who's now an assistant principal in a high school in a county, and he imitated me perfectly. <laughs> he goes, I'll never forget when you came to the classroom. And... But the, the point is, is that, so when you do things like that, you don't think about when I was on my way to the classroom and I'm getting my game face on, because I'm a goofball. I like to have fun, right? And, and uh, um, I must, I passed a couple, I passed a teacher or two and uh, someone asked one of my other colleagues if I was okay, um, if they had done something wrong. And I said, and the person said to him, why, why do you think you did something wrong? And uh, he said, well, he, he just kind of went by me and uh, didn't look really happy. <laughs> and, and I was like. Had nothing to do with them, did it? Had nothing to do with them whatsoever. And uh, I learned a very val- valuable lesson that day that uh, you got to figure out how to say hi and uh, change the face, you know, because <laughs> then they interpret the facial expression, too. If he said hi but didn't, uh, there's no smile. Oh, boy, you're in trouble. So, you know, it's like. Yeah, I mean. For me, one of the things I've learned, even when I'm coaching teachers, is everybody has a filter. And uh, whatever you say or do, it goes through this filter that is, is this person telling me I'm a bad teacher? Okay. So if I get ready to give somebody feedback on a task that they've created as to whether or not it's rigorous, I know that no matter what I say, it's going to go through, she's telling me I'm a bad teacher. So I always start with, you know, you do a really good job. I, I really like this, this, and this. 
Now, here's a couple of ways you can you can improve it. And then I come back to what I really liked was this. You are a great teacher. I can tell you're a great teacher. So what we're doing is just making you an even better teacher. And I always end by telling them they're a good teacher. Now, if they're not, don't tell them. Okay, don't do that. But, you know, I really go back and reinforce that because if if I leave with the improvement, then they leave negative. So somebody talks about it being a sandwich. You know, you start with good improvement and then good. You really need to do that because we do build these negative scripts in our head. We absolutely do that. You got that right. It's so easy to tell ourselves stories that are not not really what's going on. And it's like, just stop. It's, you just want to say, stop, 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 stop. Just listen. <laughs> and uh, But uh, good stuff. I All right. I, I want to kind of shift the gears here just a second. Uh, let's talk in a bigger picture. They, there's sometimes, you know, they may have heard a lot about creating a vision, but the, sometimes leaders may not understand the importance of having a shared vision. I, you know, and I, and, I, and I emphasize that word shared. You go into this a little bit. Can you talk about it some? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have shared vision, you don't have everybody going the same way. Um, I mean, everybody has a vision. It may be fleshed out or it may not be. And there is a shared vision. If you haven't done one, there's still one. It's just there's probably 40 of them. Um, And what you want is, imagine you're in a boat. You don't want a boat with all of your teachers having paddles and everybody paddling a different way. You're not going to get anywhere. So shared vision is we're all paddling in the same direction, so we all go the same way. Um, And that that really is why it is important. And part of your job is not just to come up with a vision and give it to them because nobody likes to be dictated to go back to the autonomy part of motivation. Uh, what you want is to build one together. And we give several strategies uh, in the book. Uh, and, and I've got a couple that I like for different purposes. But, but one of them is you have teachers write a vision letter. So they imagine it's the last day of school. And it was the best year ever. What happened? Uh, what did they do? What did their kids do? How did they make that happen? Uh, what happened with parents, if you want to put that in? And then they share their vision letters with other people, and they share them with you, and either you or your leadership team. And then from those, you talk about, well, you know, one of the patterns I heard was that a lot of people really want, as, as uh, part of your vision, it's going to be a good year if parent communication is enhanced. So is that important enough that that should be part of our shared vision? And so you really guide that discussion out of the individual visions. And uh, by the way, if you do that, you should write your own. It's the end of the year. It was your best year ever. What happened? Uh, and share with them. Um, and then build from that to build together a shared vision that each year may evolve. Uh, and some people say, well, that's not really a vision. That's more goals. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, if you'd rather do it as goals, that's okay. But to me, it's that big picture of what it looks like. And so if what it looks like is that we've got better parent communication, then we talk about that. And we talk about what that looks like and how can we do that without putting too much of a burden on any one person. Uh, if what we want is we want our students um, to be problem solvers. Okay, how are we going to put that in all of our instruction so that it's just a natural part of what we do? So if you want to get everybody going in the same direction, you got to have a shared vision and you can't just dictate it. That's so important. I mean, it's one of those things that uh, and I'm a huge believer in the, the idea that you need to spend time doing this because otherwise they are going different places. And, and uh, you know, listeners, if you've never 
I mean, I, I was a former scoutmaster, and if you've never been on a gone river rafting and you have to row, you have all these scouts on the, on the boat, and you got to explain to them, okay, this is how this works, all right? We go together and we go faster and we go further. If you do it the other way, you spin around in circles. And uh, and then, by the way, you go over the uh, the rocks sideways and you end up in the water. So it's <laughs> freezing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it, it's such a picture because it, it, you may not be getting wet in a cold river, but uh, at the same time, you're going in circles. And uh, you, you're constantly, if you're not dealing with creating that vision. And I and I think that uh, I think where one of the le- things that leaders make a mistake is is they create it, it's theirs, and they say, "Hey, everybody, here's our vision." <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, okay. <laughs> Have fun with that one. Uh, right, let's uh, you know, let's talk about uh, something else you go into because this is uh, I love this, and it, and it, like with all your books, they're practical. They they talk about stuff that's relevant in every school, every place, and. One of the things that you hear a lot about is this idea of teacher support. I mean, it's a term that's often used, uh, but I'm not sure people understand what support should look like or what it uh, what it really is or what that term means. Because, you know, sometimes uh, when I was in the military, we had what was called mandatory fun, you know, like we're, <laughs> we're expected to do this stuff on Saturday mornings. And uh, I'm sure somebody thought it was support of some sort, but uh, now, don't get me wrong, it was fun, but... <laughs> It's still that mandatory thing. But uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what uh, you envision teacher support and what you talk about in the book? Well, first of all, forced fun is not support, okay? (laughs) I hate forced fun. Always did. I'll never forget first year teaching at the university, and we all, they put us all in a big circle, and they gave us these little fuzzy balls, and we had to throw them to each other. That was not support, okay? That was not support. So um, when I think about support, um, I do it with a real quick question. Okay? Ask yourself, how can I remove barriers to success for this teacher? And the answer to that is support. Okay? And if what they need is um, a mentor, that answers that question. I, I can tell you what it meant for me. I, I told you that I did like a half a year before I did my first full year, I finished the school year out. I had graduated in December and the school was on a paper allotment. And uh, some of you probably have that because of budget. I get it. We were on a paper allotment. My problem was the teacher who had been there before me had used up all the paper. So I'm there from Valentine's day to the end of the year with no paper. And I remember my dad buying me paper so that I would be okay. And of all the questions that anybody in the school asked me when they would say, can I help you? Nobody said, do you have enough paper? Can I help you with that? And that was my number one issue uh, because I I didn't have any. Um, And so I I think that's what support is. It's what your teachers need. Um, Again, it may be something that is a material resource. It may be something that's a human resource. It may just be encouragement. Uh, But that's what I would ask you to think about is, uh, how can I remove barriers to success? And that's short and sweet. <laughs> that's awesome too. That's and that's so so important because it's like you know I think sometimes we get caught up in not realizing that it looks different to different people, and it's like uh, and, and so you have to kind of approach it that way because I mean I, there's some who you know just being able to have the the ability to uh, 
you know, this is going to sound dumb, but I like I I've worked with some people who, if you can just give them bus duty in the morning, <laughs> and they have it, they'll do it all year long. If you just let them stay at bus duty in the morning, so that then in the afternoons they're able to do whatever that extra thing is, and that was something that made their you know, it made it possible for them to do the type of teaching that they did. And that's, that's where they needed support. I, I've had others where, you know, the whole, by the way, the whole paper thing is a trip because that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that for some can be, uh, you know, um, you, remember I was a theater sponsor, right? I, I, I discovered this whole bartering thing. Um, you know, I really need to, to use my kids to get ready for the play coming up. Uh, I have a case of, uh, paper. <laughs> Could I, could I try? <laughs> that was that was a real issue for me as a brand new out of college teacher who was finishing the year out, who was just trying to figure out what to do because I hadn't done it. That was a big deal. Okay? I understand. <laughs> I understand. I, and I was the uh, the the rescue. <laughs> I could be the rescue to, to people and say, "I know you need paper, so uh, just and you you teach uh, these three students. I need need them coming up." Not a problem. Here we go. <laughs> um, I needed you in my school. Yeah, there you go. I, you know, what's funny is what I want to reference there is something that many of my listeners may not understand anymore. But uh, there used to be a show on called Mash, and uh, you know, Radar was the the king, and uh, Radar and Klinger were king of doing the trades of the bartering system. So, but uh, good stuff. I, you know, I love that section about support because there is uh, it's something that you can't forget about because we get. Just like me going down that hallway, um, I, I passed by people I didn't realize, you know, were thinking that I was mad at them or something like this. And sometimes just that nice word, if if I could have said that, you know, hey, I enjoyed what you were doing the other day. And uh, that was cool when you were doing this or working with the kids doing that. And and uh, some people just need that attaboy right there. So, yeah. um, you know, let's, let's shift to talking about hiring and retaining teachers. Um, you know, one of the things... Uh, when you, and you have all, there's all kinds of stuff that goes here. And, you know, and you're looking at trying to replace, um, you know, fill spots and things like this. But where I really want to go is something that you talk about in this section of, of your book, where it gets into the working with younger teachers. And uh, not that I, I um, really mean anything by this, but my reference to, to MASH is an example of that. If, if you're making... <laughs> references and they're going yeah i think my dad watched that show at one time <laughs> or something like this you're like ah. <laughs> um th- th- there is something to that isn't there about working with uh if you're in a different generation there is and uh i know i sent you a link to an article specifically about gen y and millennials and so i know you're going to post that on, on the page uh but but there are differences now keep in mind these are generalities they don't apply to everybody and some of them apply to people who are not millennials. Uh, but but what we do generally see with some of our younger folks is, for example, um, they are highly educated. They value education. They see that as part of their success. Um, they're very comfortable with technology, so they expect that to be a part of things. If you're going to do something on paper, they're going to want to know why they can't do it in, in technology <laughs> because it's just easier with technology. Um, they're very innovative and creative. Uh, this is a big one with education. Uh, they want to make a difference. 
uh, whether that is just with their students or in society at large. And so that's one of the things that motivates them. Um, and they, they like to be connected with other people and they want a challenge. And so, you know, they don't, they don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. I remember that was true of me when I was younger. Uh, after I was in an elementary school, I moved to a, what was then a junior high school. And uh, a couple of years in, the principal came to me and he said, you know, I can make your job easier. You can teach the same thing four times instead of having to do different subjects. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I said, I will get bored if I have to teach the same thing. I was teaching the same thing twice, but I definitely did not want to do it four times because that would have bored me. So, uh, you know, they want some things that are different. They want change. They want challenges. Um, and, and, you know, you want to have that supportive culture for them. You would want, for example, not to dictate a vision to them. You would want to know what their vision is and, and help them really loop it in. Um, they want to see good leadership from you. And in a school, that's instructional leadership. And we know how important that is. But we also know we get stuck doing everything else. So we have to remember to do that. And um, one of the things in particular, and I find that this is one that a lot of leaders don't think about just because there's so many other teachers in the building is that a lot of times your young new teachers do want the opportunity for leadership. And so just because they haven't been there as long doesn't mean that they shouldn't be in a leadership position. At a minimum, put them in a position where you are grooming them for leadership. Uh, and I mean grooming in a positive way. These days, that's not a good word to use. So uh, let's just cut that and start over. Um, so we'll stop and go back. And, you know, you want to, they want opportunities for leadership. And if you can't be in a leadership position, are there opportunities where they can grow into leadership? So can they be an assistant something so that they can grow into that leadership job? Uh, how can they learn? So those are the kinds of things that you want to do specifically with younger teachers uh, because they're, they're going to stay around because of those kinds of things. That's, that's so important. I, I think that, uh, you know, just <laughs> filling those needs. I mean, there's just so many different needs and being in touch with what those needs might be because uh, there's just, just so, so much there. And I, I appreciate you talking about that. You know, Barbara, we're getting close to finishing up. And uh, one of the things I got to make sure, because you do not disappoint here, because every book that I've I've talked about and, and I had a chance to read and so forth, you get you provide uh, extra resources and so forth like this that are online. And it's all practical. I mean, you read it today, you're going to be using it tomorrow. Um, can you talk about some of those extra resources you've provided here? Because they're right there. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because uh, what I do with all of my books, uh, and Ron and I do this, is I do something called the flip test. And so when the book comes in, uh, and this is not the book, by the way, Steve has his book. I do not have mine yet, so I'm a little <laughs> jealous. But what I do with any book is I just flip it. And on every page, I should see a subheading or a chart or a diagram or a graph. And if I don't, I did something wrong. And a lot of those charts and graphs and diagrams are practical, like assess yourself so that you can fill them in, and we put them online for you so that you can have access to them. So uh, Rowledge puts them on their website. I put them on mine um, so that you've got access to those things on an ongoing basis, um, and then you can always contact me. And uh, people are always surprised, like, when I pick up the phone, um, and they're like, you answered your phone. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> uh, because people will call and ask me questions. And so uh, 
you've always, always, I'm happy to hear from everybody. So that's, that's what's up there is all kinds of things. Very, very cool. And you have some great stuff there. That's uh, it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's just what makes your resource complete. I mean, cause it's, uh, not only do you talk about stuff, but then you give them resources to use in the building and in the classroom. And I, I love that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that I want to make sure that I, that I ask you before we, we close out is you have a little section that deals with the concept of a toxic teacher. And um, I was wondering if you could uh, talk about what you mean and how the leader can work on this. Well, you know what I mean by toxic teacher. That's that teacher. Okay, that's the teacher you don't ever want to see. You don't want to run into them in the hall. You wish they were out sick every day. It's that teacher. You know who they are. Um, and there's a lot of things. I think we give you like eight strategies, six strategies to work with them. Um, a couple of them that I'm going to use are, one, try to figure out what's going on. You know, look look for what's actually going on. I mean, it may be that they are terrible at school, and it may be they're a terrible person, but it may be that their seven-year-old child has cancer, and this is how it's coming out. So first, try to find out what's going on, okay? And if you can, then deal with that. Sometimes you just got somebody who's terrible, okay? We all know it. Um, and in those cases, uh, one of the things you want to do is to try to minimize their impact. So I'm absolutely not, if at all possible, going to put them in a leadership position. If they're in a leadership position and I'm stuck with it for some reason, I'm going to minimize the tasks that go with that and shift them to somebody else. I'm going to minimize what they do. And to some degree, I'm going to isolate them. So I'm not going to put them on a team of teachers who they're just going to drag them down. So I really, really want to do that. Um, I'm also going to document everything I can. Um, Ron used to be a union negotiator <laughs> for a district in Michigan. And one of the things he talks about is the importance of documenting. Um, nice. You know, he, he is really big on that. I, I will have to tell you from a non-union state, and from a not nice perspective, I would just make life miserable enough so they would leave. Uh, but that's not a good strategy, so don't take that one home. Uh, that's that's not very nice. But uh, you know, you do want to minimize their impact as much as possible. I appreciate that, and there's a lot of great advice in in the book about uh, dealing with this. And you know, anyone listening to this right now, if you're in a leadership position or a classroom teacher, would probably know that too. You you probably have a a picture just popped in your mind of. <laughs> um, who went with that? Uh, good stuff. I, Barbara, as we're closing out, if someone wanted to follow up with you, learn some more, um, see what new stuff you got going on, where would you send them? Uh, go to my website, barbarablackburnonline.com. Um, and there's, oh, if you go to free or just for leaders, there are over 100 free resources. Uh, it shows you under professional development what I'm doing. Uh, I do a lot of presentations, but I do a lot of coaching with principals and coaching with teachers on um, making instruction more rigorous. Uh, under contact me, there's a phone number, you can send me an email, uh, just all kinds of, of ways to get in touch with me. Everything's on the website um, and don't hesitate to get in touch with me. Awesome. Uh, Barbara, thanks so much for talking with me. Improving teacher morale and motivation, leadership strategies that build student success is awesome and much needed. Wishing you the best in all you do. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. 
Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.